This is Dr. Mercola's blog from January 7th, 2022, entitled, More Children Die from the COVID Shot Than from COVID. Recall that Dr. COVID is being censored off of his own media and these stories disappear in 48 hours, but he has put them off copyright and I think that they are tremendous and well worth preserving. Story at a Glance According to Colette Martin, a practicing nurse who testified before a Louisiana Health and Welfare Committee hearing December 6, 2021, children are having terrifying reactions to the COVID shot, yet her concerns are simply dismissed. The average number of adverse events reports following vaccination for the past 10 years has been about 39,000 annually, with an average of 155 deaths. That's for all available vaccines combined. The COVID jabs alone now account for 983,756 adverse events reports as of December 17, 2021, including 20,622 deaths. And this doesn't include the underreporting factor, which we know is significant. Children are at risk for potentially lifelong health problems from the jab. Myocarditis, heart inflammation, has emerged as one of the most common problems, especially among boys and young men. Myocarditis is inversely correlated to age, so the risk gets higher the younger you are. The risk is also dose-dependent, with boys having a six-fold greater risk of myocarditis following the second dose. British data show deaths among teenagers have spiked since that age group became eligible for the COVID shots. Between the week ending June 26th and the week ending September 18th, 2020, 148 deaths were reported among 15 to 19 year olds. During those same weeks in 2021, 217 deaths occurred in that age group, an increase of 47%. So Mercola includes a video, which I can't include, which features Colette Martin, a practicing nurse who testified before Louisiana Health and Welfare Committee hearing December 6, 2021. Martin claims she and her colleagues have witnessed a, quote, terrifying reaction to COVID shots among children, including blood clots, heart attacks, encephalopathy, and arrhythmias, yet their concerns are simply dismissed. Among elderly patients, she's noted an uptick in falls and the acute onset of confusion, quote, without any known cause, unquote. Coworkers are also experiencing side effects such as vision and cardiovascular problems. Martin points out that few doctors or nurses are aware the U.S. Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, that's V-A-E-R-S, even exists, so injury reports are not being filed. Hospitals also are not gathering data on COVID jab injuries any other ways, so there's no data to investigate even if you wanted to. According to Martin, quote, We are not just seeing severe, acute, short-term reactions with this vaccine, but we have zero idea what any long-term reactions are. Cancers, autoimmune disorders, infertility, we just don't know. We are potentially sacrificing our children for fear of maybe dying, getting sick of a virus, a virus with a 99% plus survival rate. As of now, we have more children that have died from COVID vaccine than COVID itself.
And then for the health department to come out and say that the new variant Omicron has all the side effects of the vaccine reactions we're currently seeing is maddening. And I don't understand why more people don't see it. I think they do, but they fear speaking out and even worse, being fired. Which side of history will you be on? I have to know that this madness will stop, unquote. Martin also states that she believes the hospital treatment protocol is killing COVID patients. Doctors agree that it's, quote, not working, but, quote, it's all we have. But that's simply not true, she says. It's just what the CDC will allow us to give. The next section is entitled, What the VAERS Data Tell Us About COVID Jab Risks. I recently interviewed Jessica Rose, PhD, a research fellow at the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge in Israel, about what the VAERS data tell us about the COVID jabs risks. As noted by Rose, the average number of adverse event reports following vaccination for the past 10 years has been about 39,000 annually, with an average of 155 deaths. That's for all available vaccines combined. The COVID jabs alone now account for 983,756 adverse event reports as of December 17, 2021, including 20,622 deaths. And this doesn't include the underreporting factor, which we know is significant and likely ranges from five to 40 times higher than reported. I'm just going to interject here that the COVID jab adverse event reports have gone over a million as of the date that this is dictated. Back to the article. Most doctors and nurses don't even know what the VAERS is, and even if they do, they choose not to report the incidents. You can't even compare the COVID shots to other vaccines. They're by far the most dangerous injections ever created, yet there doesn't appear to be a cutoff for acceptable harm. No one within the CDC or Food and Drug Administration, which jointly run VAERS, has addressed these shocking numbers. Both agencies outrageously deny that a single death can be attributed to the COVID jabs, which is simply impossible. It's not statistically reasonable. The FDA and CDC are also ignoring standard data analysis that can shed light on causation. It's known as the Bradford Hill criteria, a set of 10 criteria that need to be satisfied in order to show strong evidence of causal relationship. One of the most important of these criteria is temporality because no, because one thing has to come before the other and the shorter the duration between the two events, the higher likelihood of a causative effect. Well, in the case of COVID jabs, 50% of the deaths occur within 48 hours of injection. It's simply not conceivable that 10,000 people died two days after their shot from something other than the shot. It cannot all be coincidence, especially since so many of them are younger with no underlying lethal conditions that threaten to take them out on any given day. A full 80% have died within one week of their jab, which is still incredibly close in terms of time. The next section is children risk permanent heart damage. Aside from the immediate risk of death, children are also at risk for potentially lifelong health problems from the jab. Myocarditis, heart inflammation, has emerged as one of the most common problems, especially among boys and young men. In early September 2021, Tracy Beth Hogue and colleagues posted an analysis of the VAERS data on the preprint server 
MedRxiv showing that more than 86% of the children aged 12 to 17 who report symptoms of myocarditis were severe enough to require hospitalization. Cases of myocarditis explode after the second shot Hogue found and disproportionately affect boys. A full 90% of post-jab myocarditis reports are males, and 85% of reports occurred after the second dose. According to Hogue et al., quote, the estimated incidence of CAEs, that's cardiac adverse events, among boys aged 12 to 15 years following the second dose was 162 per million. The incidence among boys aged 16 to 17 years was 94 per million. The estimate the estimated incidence of CAEs among girls was 13 per million in both age groups. No doubt, doctors are seeing an increase in myocarditis, but few are willing to talk about it. In a recent Substack post, Steve Kirsch writes, quote, I just read a comment on my private healthcare providers only Substack. An estimated 100, to- 10 to 100 times elevation in rate of myocarditis, but no one will learn of it since cardiologists aren't going to speak out for fear of retribution. His comment was a private conversation he had with a pediatric cardiologist. The cardiologist is never going to say this in public, to the press, or have his name revealed since his first duty is to his family or keeping his job. If a fact checker called the cardiologist, he might either refuse to comment or say, I'm seeing somewhat more cases after the vaccine rolled out. Here's the exact comment that was posted to the private substack. Pre-jab, one or two cases per year of myocarditis. Now, half his waiting room tells patients they are, quote, studying the causality, refers them to infectious disease specialists for discussions on their other children, Admits he and about 50% of his colleagues know what's going on, but are too terrified to speak out for fear of retaliation from hospitals and state licensing board. Other 50% don't want to know, don't care, and or are reveling in the cognitive dissonance like Dr. Harvey Cohen at Stanford and or letting loose their authoritarian demon. Good luck with these former colleagues of mine. The stench is overpowering. From one to two cases per year to, quote, half his waiting room. I don't know the size of his waiting room, but it's at least two people, says he said half. So the rate is increased by 250 day per year open over 1.5 average cases per year equals 166 times. The next section is myocarditis is not a mild inconsequential side effect. Together with Dr. Peter McCullough, in October 2021, Rose also submitted a paper on myocarditis cases in VARES following the COVID jabs to the journal Current Problems in Cardiology. Everything was set for publication when suddenly the journal changed its mind and took it down. You can still find the pre-proof on Rose's website, though, and Mercola includes a link. The data clearly show that myocarditis is inversely correlated to age, so the risk gets higher the younger you are. The risk is also dose-dependent, with boys having a six-fold greater risk of myocarditis following the second dose. While our health authorities are shrugging off this risk, saying cases are, quote, mild, that's a frightening lie. The damage to the heart is typically permanent, 
and the three to five year survival rate for myocarditis has historically ranged from 56% to 83% with the rest of them dying. Patients with acute fulminant myocarditis, characterized by severe left ventricular systolic dysfunction requiring drug therapy or mechanical circulatory support, who survive the acute stage have a survival rate of 93% at 11 years, whereas those with non-acute non-fulminant myocarditis, left ventricular systolic dysfunction, but otherwise hemodynamically stable, have a survival rate of just 45% at 11 years. This could mean that anywhere from 7 to 55% of the teens injured by these shots today might not survive into their late 20s or early 30s. Some might not even make it into their early 20s. How is this possibly an acceptable trade-off for a virus you have practically zero risk of dying from as a child or adolescent? The next section is entitled, Excess Deaths Are Exploding, Including Among Teens. Throughout the pandemic, the COVID jab was held out as the way back to normalcy. Yet, despite mass injections and boosters, excess deaths keep rising. For example, in the week ending November 12, 2021, the UK reported 2,047 uh, 2, more deaths than occurred during the same period between 2015 and 2019. COVID-19 cannot be entirely to blame as it was listed on the death certificates for only 1,197 people. Even more telling is the fact that since July 2021, non-COVID deaths in the UK have been higher than the weekly average in the five years prior to the pandemic. Heart disease and strokes appear to be the, behind many of the excess deaths and both are known side effects of the COVID jab. In a November 28, 21, Twitter post, Silicon Valley software engineer Ben M. revealed that in the preceding 13 weeks, about 107,700 seniors died above the normal rate, despite a 98.7% vaccination rate. In another example, he used data from the CBC, CDC and census.gov to show excess deaths rising in Vermont, even as the majority of adults have been injected already. Quote, Vermont had 71% of their entire population vaccinated by June 1st, 2021, he tweeted. That's 83% of their adult population. Yet they are seeing the most excess deaths now since the pandemic. Even more disturbing, British data showed deaths among teenagers have spiked since that age group became eligible for the COVID shots. Between the week ending June 26th and the week ending September 18th, 2020, 148 deaths were reported among 15 to 19-year-olds. Between the week ending June 25th, 2021 and the week ending September 17th, 2021, 217 deaths occurred in that age group. That's an increase of 47%. Correlation does not equal causation, but it is extremely concerning to see that deaths have increased by 47% among teens over the age of 15 and COVID-19 deaths have also increased among this age group since they started receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. And this is perhaps one coincidence too far. That's from the expose, which is an online newsletter. Deaths from COVID-19 also went up among 15 to 19 year olds after the shots were rolled out for this age group. 
Significant concerns have been raised about the possibility that COVID-19 vaccines could worsen COVID-19 disease via antibody-dependent enhancement, ADE. Is that's what is that's what's going on here? As reported by the expose, which conducts conducted the investigation, quote, correlation does not equal causation, but it is extremely concerning to see that deaths have increased by 47% among teens over the age of 15, and COVID-19 deaths have also increased among this age group since they started receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. And it is perhaps one coincidence too far. The next section is entitled, Omicron Poses No Risk to Young People. As noted in a recent analysis by Dr. Robert Malone, who recently got banned from Twitter but can still be found on Substack, the risk-benefit ratio of the COVID shot is becoming even more inverted with the emergence of Omicron, as this variant produces far milder illness than previous variants putting children at even lower risk of hospitalization or death from infection than they were before, and the risk was already negligible. Malone is currently spearheading the second physician's declaration by the International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists, which has been signed by more than 16,000 doctors and scientists, stating that, quote, healthy children shall not be subjected to forced vaccination unquote, as their clinical risk from SARS-CoV-2 infection is negligible and long-term safety of the shots cannot be determined prior to such policies being enacted. Not only are children at high risk for severe adverse events from the shots, but having healthy unvaccinated children in the population is critical to achieving herd immunity. The next section is shots double risk of acute coronary syndrome. Researchers have also found Pfizer and Moderna messenger RNA COVID-19 shots dramatically increase biomarkers associated with thrombosis, which is clotting, cardiomyopathy, and other vascular events following injection. People who had received two doses of the messenger RNA jab more than doubled their five-year risk of acute coronary syndrome, ACS, the researchers found, driving it from an average of 11% to 25%. ACS is an umbrella term that includes not only heart attacks, but also a range of other conditions involving abruptly reduced blood flow to your heart. In a November 21st, 21 tweet, cardiologist Amsine Malhotra wrote, quote, Extraordinary, disturbing, upsetting. We now have evidence of a plausible biological mechanism of how messenger RNA vaccine may be contributing to increased cardiac events. The abstract is published in the highest impact cardiology journal, so we must take these findings seriously. The next section, AMA is a-okay with sacrificing children. Tragically, it's not only the CDC and the FDA that have been captured by the drug industry and who are sacrificing public health, including the health of our children in order to further the technocratic Great Reset agenda. Even the American Medical Association, which is supposed to lobby for physicians and medical students in the U.S. and promote medicine for the betterment of public health, has abandoned all semblance of ethics, transparency, and honesty. In a mid-November 2021 article on the AMA's website entitled, COVID-19 Vaccine for Kids, How We Know It's Safe, contributing news writer Tanya Henry 
cites data straight from Pfizer's press release and then goes on to claim that, quote, we know it's safe because younger children see the same side effects as has been seen in adults and teens, unquote. Based on the VAERS data, that should send shivers down parents' backs. Quote, the American Academy of Pediatrics is on board with vaccinating this age group along with the American Academy of Family Physicians and the Pediatrics Infectious Disease Society, says Dr. Freyhofer, chair-elect of the AMA Board of Trustees, Henry writes. Dr. Freyhofer noted that myocarditis has been a rare occurrence after the second dose of the messenger RNA vaccines. He says the observed risk is highest in young males age 12 to 19, but COVID infection can also cause myocarditis. For adolescents and young adults, the risk of myocarditis caused by COVID infection is much higher than after the messenger RNA vaccination. Really? asked Mercola. Where did Freyhofer get that idea? I've not seen any data to back that up, and Henry does not provide any. The next section is, what do the VAERS data actually show? Research published in 2017 calculated the background rate of myocarditis in children and youth, showing it occurs at a rate of four cases per million per year. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, as of 2020, there were 73.1 million people under the age of 18 in the U.S. That means the background rate for myocarditis in adolescents 18 and younger would be about 292 cases per year. As of December 17, 2021, looking only at U.S. reports and excluding the international ones, VAERS had received 308 uh, cases of myocarditis among 18-year-olds, 226 cases in 16-year-olds, 193 in 14-year-olds, and 108 in 12-year-olds. In total, that's 1,475 cases of myocarditis in teens 18 and younger, five times the background rate. And again, this does not take into account the underreporting factor, which has been calculated to be anywhere from 5 to 40. Meanwhile, the CDC claims that between March 2020 and January 21, the risk, quote, the risk for myocarditis was 0.146% among patients diagnosed with COVID-19, unquote, compared to a background rate of 0.009% among patients who did not have a diagnosis of COVID-19. After adjusting for, quote, patient and hospital characteristics, COVID-19 patients between the age of 16 and 39 were on average seven times more likely to develop myocarditis than those without COVID. That said, the CDC stressed that, quote, overall myocarditis was uncommon, unquote, among all patients, COVID or not. What's more, only 23.7% of myocarditis patients between the ages of 16 and 24 had a history of COVID-19, so a majority of the cases in that age group were not due to COVID. We're also not talking about big numbers in terms of actual COVID infections. The weekly adolescent hospitalization rate peaked at 2.1 per 100,000 in early January 2021, declined to 0.6 per 100,000 in mid-March, and rose to 1.3 per 100,000 in April. Using that peak hospitalization rate of 2.1 per 100,000 or 21 per million in this age group and assuming the risk for myocarditis is 0.146% among COVID-positive patients, 
We get a myocarditis from COVID rate among adolescents of 0.03 per million. That's a far cry from the normal background rate of four cases per million, so the risk of getting myocarditis from SARS-CoV-2 infection is probably quite small. Now, assuming the COVID hospitalization rate for adolescents is 21 per million, and we have 73.1 million adolescents, we could expect there to be 1,535 hospitalizations for COVID in this age group in a year. If 0.146% of these 1,535 teens develop myocarditis, we can expect 2.2 cases of myocarditis to occur in this age group every year among those who come down with COVID. In summary, based on the CDC statistics, we could expect just over two teens to contract myocarditis from COVID-19 infection. Meanwhile, we have 1,475 cases reported following the COVID jab in just six months. Shots for the 12 to 17 year olds were authorized July 30th, 2021. So these aren't included. Taking into account underreporting, the real number could be anywhere between 7,375 to 59,000. Again, in just six months. To estimate it an annual rate, we'd have to double it, giving us anywhere from 14,750 to 118,000 cases of myocarditis. So is it actually true that, quote, for adolescents and young adults, the risk of myocarditis caused by COVID infection is much higher than after the messenger RNA vaccination? I doubt it. The next section is, can you lessen the damaging effects? There is absolutely no medical rationale or justification for children and teens to get a COVID shot. It's all risk and no gain. If for whatever reason your son or daughter has already received one or more jabs and you hope to lessen their risk of cardiac and cardiovascular complications, there are a few basic strategies I would suggest implementing. Keep in mind these suggestions do not supersede or cancel out any medical advice they may receive from their pediatricians. These are really only recommendations for when there are no adverse symptoms. If your child experiences any symptoms of a cardiac or cardiovascular problem, seek a medical immediate medical attention. First and foremost, do not give them another shot or booster. Second, Measure their vitamin D level and make sure they take enough vitamin D orally and or get sensible sun exposure to make sure their level is between 60 nanograms per milliliter and 80 nanograms per milliliter. Number three, eliminate all vegetable seed oils in their diets. This involves eliminating nearly all processed foods and most meals in restaurants unless you can convince the chef to only cook with butter. Avoid any sauces or salad dressings as they are loaded with seed oils. Also avoid conventionally raised chicken and pork as they are very high in linoleic acid, the omega-6 fat that is far too high in nearly everyone and contributes to oxidative stress that causes heart disease. Fourth, consider giving them around 500 milligrams per day of N-acetylcholine, NAC, as it helps prevent blood clots and is a precursor for the important antioxidant glutathione. Fifth, consider fibrinolytic enzymes that digest the fibrin that leads to blood clots, strokes, and pulmonary embolisms. The dose is typically two to six capsules twice a day, 
but must be taken on an empty stomach either an hour before or two hours after a meal. Otherwise, the enzymes will merely act as a digestive enzyme rather than digesting fibrin. 